Zig coming in on the top 10 show. We have Corey Ledette, accordion player, singer-songwriter, specializing in the styles of Zydeco music. Corey has a profound recorded career already with 15 studio albums. His newest being Made It Come In, his first record fully in Coleray Vinny, a Louisiana Creole language, that of which his ancestors spoke. And um, his family musically is crazy as far as how deep his family's roots get into jazz, bebop, blues, and like... We get into that in that conversation. Like, members of his family played with Louis Armstrong, B.B. King, just to name a few. We're going to listen to a tune off Made to Come In. This is the track Two Step. Made a Commins album, now on all streaming platforms. Check it out. Um, this was a fun conversation. 
Zydeco music is really cool. It's really fun. There's a lot to it. And with Corey's family having so many different uh, roots and all these different types of music, like blues and bebop, we really get into it. Um, before we get to that conversation, if you hear what you like, if you can like, rate your review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Corey. That being said, without further ado, this is my chat with Corey. Awesome, awesome. Well, to get into it, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about your grandfather. Okay. If you can tell me a little bit about his musical journey. Yeah. Uh, so my grandfather, uh, which is my dad's dad, um, I never got a chance to meet him because he passed in uh, 1978, and I wasn't born until 1981, so I just missed him. But um, he was um, a drummer. He was a musician, and uh, he was born in 1910. So like right around like the twenties and thirties, he was playing um, jazz music at at the time in the area where they were they were from. Uh, it's a, a small town called Parks, Louisiana, um, in between Bro Bridge and St. Martinville, Louisiana. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that area, um, but it's the the town was called Parks, Louisiana, and St. Martin Parish. It was it's the parish. The um, they don't have counties here; they have parishes. So, um, yeah, so he played jazz music. His father, my great-grandfather, played jazz and ragtime music, like the kind of music that, uh, like, from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, so my grandfather was uh, started out with that, and he was in several different jazz bands in the area with his cousins, um, well, our cousins, the, the Poches, because his mother was uh, originally a, a poche um so with his cousins they had several different jazz bands in the area and then later on um when clifton chenier started coming coming out you know with his zydeco style music um some kind of way they linked up and they started playing they started playing music together my grandfather and clifton chenier and they was you know playing zydeco and then as Clifton got bigger and bigger, he started moving around and traveling and touring. And my grandfather was more of a homebody, so he didn't want to do that. So he ended up playing drums with a couple other Zydeco bands like Rockin' Doopsy when he was first coming out and Furnace Arsenal uh, when he was first coming out and stuff like that. So that's what that's pretty much uh, what I know of my grandfather. Like I said, I didn't get a chance to to meet him. Um, I wish I did. I wish I had video or audio or something on him, but we don't have that. Um, so that's pretty much his story. He's, you know, he played music most of his life, but he always did have a, a regular job as well. My dad said, but, uh, yeah, that, that's the story of my grandfather. That's, that's, that's a pretty epic family story with music. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, that's, not, that's just with him, you know, with his story, his father, my great grandfather, uh, like I say, he played the, uh, um upright bass uh, and he played with we just found out he played with uh bunk johnson wow uh, yeah there's actually a book that we found uh it's an old book uh and my friend louis michel found it and it, it says all this in this book um when he found it he uh called me up he said hey uh i recognize some names do you know these names so i went by and i started reading i was like yeah this is like all my family all the the days, all the poches, uh, the wilts, um, the Charles, uh, all all these guys. That's all 
people in and around the parks area. It's all my family. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. So my family is documented from playing music and even early jazz music all the way back, like from the late 1800s, early 1900s. That's so they get like a because I talked with Louis, um, Louis uh, a couple weeks ago. And like, did, did you like was was stories like circling around your family of all this? And like, but there was no like you didn't you guys didn't have like something written down. Like yeah it, yeah yeah so basically uh I always knew I was from a musical family because they talk about it but my family is is so nonchalant you know what I'm saying they're like yeah. oh yeah our cousins did this and did that you know it's, it was like no sweat to them but I'm like when I'm hearing these stories I'm like how can you guys like you know what I'm saying which I guess is cool you know everybody's kind of down to earth like that you know yeah. um but I'm like wow these stories are incredible like uh we had a, a cousin he was a poche. Uh, Harold Poche Jr. Mm-hmm. and uh, he played drums with Ike and Tina Turner. Wow. And then he also moved on. He played with Bobby Blue Bland. Yeah. Um, his brother, John Poche, our other cousin, he played keyboards with B.B. King. Um, our other cousin, uh, Hippolyte Charles, they call him H.P. Charles. He played uh, cornet with uh, Louis Armstrong. Wow. So, and I'm here. <laughs> oh my God. Play. Yeah. I'm hearing all these stories and everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he played with Louis Armstrong. He used to come by the house and I drink coffee. I'm like, what? How are y'all like so down to earth with all these stories? Which I guess is cool in a sense, you know? But yeah, well, yeah, no, because over, I mean, they're, they're legends, but they're also people, you know? And yeah. that's so cool to like, everyone in your family was like, oh, Louis, Louis Armstrong, he was, he was coming over all the time for coffee. He kept forgetting creamer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's how they told these stories. I'm like, what? <laughs> like growing up, I guess like until like, until you kind of like see these people like BB King and Louis Armstrong and like these names where you see their name and like where they fit in musical history, like then like did the, were you always kind of aware of like, like how like big these people were, or, or did you find yourself being like, oh, that that guy, as well? At, at first, yeah, because uh, like I say, it was just so nonchalant. At you know, when I was young, I was like, oh, okay, so you know, our cousin played with so and so and this and that. But as I got older, and uh, fell in love with music and got deeper and deeper in music, I'm it, that's when I like started to get starstruck. I'm like, are you telling me that? Our cousin played with so and so, and so and so used to come by the house to pick him up and drop him off. And are you telling me that? Like, yeah, it was, it was no problem. Like, damn, okay, <laughs> that's crazy. BB <laughs> uh, King dropped me off. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Like, I guess so. After kind of like gaining perspective and going on your own musical journey and seeing where these names fit, like. Were you, were you like close to your cousins? Yeah, well, most of them were uh, way older than me. They was kind of like in my dad's generation and even, you know, before his generation. So by the time I came around, a lot of them had already uh, passed on, either either passed on or re- just retired from music altogether. Gotcha. So, uh, but still, just to hear these stories and, and to know, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's, still, it's still crazy. Well, I mean, that like to... I think every creative person has this thing within them. They're like, I got this thing to share and get out into the ether and like 
do my own thing, you know, but like yeah. to know that it runs in your family successfully along the side of legends is even more of that calling, I would imagine. Exactly. And it makes sense. That's why I'm, you know, I love music so much and, and, and all types of music, not just Zydeco. I mean, Zydeco is my, uh, is what I'm known for. But, you know, I love I love jazz music, um, especially now knowing that, you know, I have blood, you know, that did the, that did the early jazz when jazz music was just being basically developed. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I'm, I'm liking jazz music. I, I like all music. You know, it's it's a gift and a curse at the same time. It's, it's hard to find um, music that I would not like. It has to be pretty bad for me not to like it and then i still might find something in it i like <laughs> well i think that's the way there's always some nugget of a of a chord progression of a, a melodic phrase of a weird lyric or of something yeah. that everything has and like it's interesting with like zydeco music i feel like that's kind of like the the beginner's book to philosophy in that sense uh, of that sense because there's so much already entwined within it uh, Absolutely. Style-wise, uh, now you started you started playing drums, right? Yeah. So I started off on drums, and how that happened was um, my dad had my grandfather's drums in the garage um, for a while, and just one day, uh, and, and I passed by, you know, all the time. But one day I just passed by, and I looked at, and I took a good look at it, and I, and I was like, I was asking him, "What is this?" And he was like, "That's your grandfather's drums. Those are drums." So then he pulled them out and he kind of set them up and kind of was hitting on them. Cause my dad plays drums too. Um, so then I started kind of messing around with it. And, you know, a as a kid, you know, you're hitting the drum. I mean, what fun is that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you're a kid, you get to make a bunch of noise. So then eventually um, he ended up getting me a my own drum set because, of course, my grandfather's was an old set. So we didn't want to, you know what I'm saying, mess it up or destroy it any more than what it already was. So got a real drum set, started off practicing in the garage, and then uh, we ended up bringing the drums in the house because my mom didn't want me to disturb uh, the neighbors because I was always in there just hitting snares and crash cymbals and stuff. So we moved the drums in the house, started playing the drums in, in the house, um, and then eventually moved on to uh, accordion. But at the same time, um, when I was kind of messing with the accordion, I ended up getting my first uh, musical job with uh, Wilbur Thibodeau and the Zydeco Rascals. They was uh, based out of Houston, Texas, but he originally was from Opelousas, Louisiana. And then I got a job playing drums uh, with him on the weekend, and I did that for, oh, maybe about five or six years. And I learned a lot of, you know, stuff. From him just by being on stage like stage presence and being able to read your crowd and you know being able to to dress properly when you're on stage just you know all that kind of good stuff like that and everything just got bigger and bigger and bigger from there was it now playing drums it's interesting uh drumming for a group you're kind of like orchestrating everything in a way and then be kind of like the kind of like learning all these different aspects of it and then the the shift to like accordion to kind of fronting it was there like a, a while drumming and like learning how to back this 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 um, this group as it's moving through all these different situations and 
shows and different places. You know what I mean? Like reading crowds in small rooms compared to big rooms compared to like rooms you can't hear yourself and then you're too right. loud, you know. But right. uh, I feel like for the most part, a Zydeco band's going to be, it's going to be in a place where it's going to be fun and you can be loud. But there's always those weird gigs. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you turn it down? It's a little too loud and all kind of stuff like that. <laughs> but through like, uh, through drumming for like a Zydeco group, did that kind of like, unlock this music in a way that it hadn't unlocked itself to you before yeah it did i would say uh with the timing because uh you know being a drummer you have to have uh at least decent timing but the 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 better you are with time the better um you know of a musician and the better your music will sound so being the drummer i was able to learn timing you know following the accordion so if the accordion started the song super fast then you had to hold it right there if the accordion player started the song super slow you had to hold the beat and the time right there you couldn't you couldn't move you couldn't you as the drums you can't go past the accordion time and wise because it, it you know it just won't sound right so like i said if the if the accordion started the song fast if mr Thibodeau would have started a, a fast song and he wanted it fast i would hear where he was at and i had to stay right there i couldn't move as soon as i came in you had to stay right there you know what i'm saying and so coming to the accordion it uh it definitely helped because i can set my own tempo uh, some accordion players don't play drums so they really depend on a solid drummer with you know amazing timing to kind of lock it down right there but with me being a drummer i could already hear where i wanted to be in my head before i even started so i can set it how i want it and as long as i have a drummer that is good with time all he has to do is just follow me and just hold it right there just the same way as i did and then that's where the magic happens and it's it's interesting because like with I, I've dab my grandpa played accordion too, so I've I've dabbled with it a bit, and like as I get my my main's guitar, so it's like a different type of approach to getting into that groove. But like with accordion, it's like almost like you're breathing in the sense with the bellows. Yeah, the bellows is is the air that pushes. Uh, it, it uses air to push um, push air through the reeds. There's a reed box on the inside of the accordion, so the bellows is what provides the air to make those reeds uh sing so like when you're when you're playing when you're getting into that groove of that like it's setting that tempo with the like breathe in breathe out breathe it's really like kind of you know even though it's not your breath like the accordion's breath is it's kind of a breath focused instrument and i guess my question with that is like when you started to sing and play accordion do you find yourself locking into that? It's one thing I've always kind of always wondered about how to like sing and play said instrument. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the interesting uh, thing to learn when I was learning how to do that. Uh, a lot of the older guys uh, that I was listening to at the time, I noticed like whatever their accordion part was doing, they would sing that part. So, like, if the accordion pattern or accordion line was a uh, then they would sing that. They would make up some lyrics like and say, oh, bye-bye, oh, bye-bye. You know what I'm saying? They would 
seeing what the accordion is doing. And I started off doing that, which it made sense. And it was able to, I was, it was helpful for me to, to do that. So as I started going on, then I was able to kind of break away with it. So not like nowadays, you might hear an accordion part and the vocal part is completely different from the accordion part. But a lot of guys that I was listening to, that's kind of what they, what they did. And that was a good starting part for me. Okay. Well, that makes sense. You, you unify it with yourself and you can follow the instrument. You can find your pitch. You know, it's easier yeah. to, to, I guess it's kind of hard at first to do two things at once, but when they're matching, at least you're all together. Yeah. It's not syncopated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that's a way to start. That's a start. <laughs> um, did a, one more question on drumming. Um, so your grandfather like came up with the double Dutch pattern or double uh, double crutch, the double clutch, double clutch. <laughs> it's yeah. both words put together here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, he was like I said, he was a jazz uh, drummer at first because that's that's what they was doing, and then when he got with uh, with Clifton, he kind of was um, you know experimenting with with these di different beats. And then uh, when when Clifton's uh, longtime drummer, which was Robert uh, St. Julia, when he came in, um, he kind of patterned his way after what my grandfather was doing, you know, just as a base to see, you know, OK, how does how do you back up Clifton? So uh, those are some of the old beats that they was doing back in the day, you know, kind of uh, uh, and they call it a, a double clutch. Okay, and that that's become a very that that's the staple drum beat for Zydeco. I mean, that's it. That's the beat. You know, I mean, there's several different beats, but that's that's the one that just it just doesn't get old. It just doesn't get old. So, like, w w I, I'm not familiar with the pattern. It's, I mean, I've heard it listening to your record and listening to Clifton's records to get ready to talk with you, but like, is it like a is it like a sticking thing that makes it the double, or or is it the well, it's, it's, it's two hits on the bass drum and one hit on the snare drum, but then there's like a ghost note on the snare drum. So it's like pop, 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 like that. But uh, it's supposed to like I, the best way to describe it is saying the word Cocoa Puff. If you can just sit there and say Cocoa Puff, Cocoa Puff, Cocoa Puff, Cocoa Puff. That's how the drum beat is supposed to sound. Boom, boom, pop. Boom, boom, pop, boom, boom, pop, cocoa puff, cocoa puff, boom, boom, pop, boom, boom, pop. Okay, okay. That's with drumming. That's one thing I love is there's like a, a, a mnemonic device that you can usually find this to get it out. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. So like and some some people uh, describe it also as the sound of a of a, a freight train coming, like. It's just, and when you listen to that, like it, it, that stays, that rhythm stays right there. If, if a train is going at a certain speed and it's just staying right there, it's going to stay right there. It's going to go, chicka, 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 chicka. You know what I'm saying? It's going to stay right there. That's incredible. And it's to like, so as you're drumming, and like you're back in this band and you're really ingraining that pattern and finding yourself singing and playing and all like the it's almost seems like the perfect way to build into like leading your own band and writing your own music. But uh, nothing's perfect. and Everything happens for a reason. But uh, it's a, so like you start diving into accordion. When do you really start trying to pick apart Clifton's music? 
Well, he was kind of the one that I, I, you know, started because I heard so much about him, you know, with the yeah. family and everything. So I just started with that um, as a reference. Um, when he played, you know, the piano style accordion, which that was my first accordion that I was I was learning on, but I didn't pick it up until later. I didn't even like it at first because I couldn't pick it up. So then I went to a smaller accordion and started listening to other smaller accordion players like Buzu Chavez and John Delafonso and started picking up stuff like that. And then eventually found my way back to Clifton and it just kind of all made started all making sense. And um, again, you know, with, with my grandfather playing music with him and I never got a chance to to meet my grandfather and I never got a chance to see Clifton live. So I got all these great legends that I never got a chance to experience them. You know, it just, it was what drew me to him. You know, I just wanted more because I never saw him. I wanted to hear more of them. I want to learn more about them. You know what I mean? It, yeah. They just became more and more interesting to me. So one, one, one pin, like accordions are heavy, man. Like a full size, like piano accordion on the side, those weigh on your shoulders. Like when I first started trying to mess around with them, like take it off. You're like, Oh, feel oh, yeah, they're not light. <laughs> they definitely not light. <laughs> but those smaller ones, those like button box and like the ones that have two notes when you pull in and pull out, that's mm -hmm. like a whole nother set of like challenges. Like, <laughs> Yes, it's it's a little bit different because it's diatonic. It's like right. a harmonica. You know, one note is uh, one, a different note on the draw, and it's the same button is a different note on the push. Yeah. So it's a whole different technique. Do you uh do you mess around with the button boxes now? Yeah, I still play them. Um, I record a few songs with them, and every like I said, uh, my influences are uh. Clifton Chenier with the piano accordion, Rockin' Doopsy with the three-row accordion, and the single-row accordion would be like John Delafonso, uh, Buzu Chavis, Bojack, these guys like that. Okay, that's cool. I mean, like it's it, it's kind of like playing like a, a, a different size guitar or something. Once you get one really ingrained, it's fun to ex explore on the other. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and it goes back to that whole kind of like. Uh, I wanted to learn more about bebop and jazz and ragtime and like the the genre like appeal to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like you want to go back to the source and like see. Okay, this is what inspired this person. Now, I, now I can see it. Um, I I heard a, a story on a from another interview or I read somewhere that you were playing on Clifton's grave and you're trying to figure out some something he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. I was having trouble learning one of his songs, and so I went to his his grave. I don't know what made me do that, but uh, went to his grave. I just was like, okay, I guess I was doing it to to kind of focus and concentrate. I guess that's why I originally wanted to do it. So I went there, and it had rained like the day before, and it was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say flooded, but there was still kind of puddles of water around, you know, the, the graveyard. So as I'm trying to figure out you know, one of his songs, all of a sudden, like, it started, the, the water around his tomb just started bubbling. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, uh, this is weird. Nothing's supposed to be breathing in there, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and when that happened, then, then I started kind of figuring out, I'm like, oh, that's what he was doing. And then it just started coming together. That's incredible. There's, like, 
do you, do you remember what what piece were you or what what bit of his were you trying to figure out? It was a song. It was actually a a, a cover song that he did from uh, Pine Top per- Perkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Pine Top Boogie Woogie is what he called it. Okay, and was it is that like riffing on like a like a a blues kind of like. One four yeah. five thing, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like a it's like a blues one four five thing, but the way he did it and the fact that he was playing his own bass pattern, and that's what was kind of tripping me up was he was playing one melody on the right hand and a completely different melody on the left hand at the same time. Oh man! <laughs> so that's you know that's what was giving me problems. And like. Like, because, well, I guess that's for that type of playing, starting on drums is really serendipitous as well, because you're working on multiple limbs doing multiple things at the same yep, time. Yep, exactly. Um, so, like, like, and one thing I noticed with his playing, it, there's all this, like, this, like, this blues, like, really blues kind of guitar y stuff within what he's doing. And, like, like when I started trying to dabble with accordion, I was trying to figure out how to do blues stuff, and I found my way into Zydeco music. And I, you know, my trying to transfer those skills to the, the accordion was a much more challenging feat than than I have been able to overcome. But like, um, just hearing those phrases and trying to like figure them out out of something that now has like multiple key uh, keys, you know, being like it's a piano uh, accordion, you can play in different keys as opposed to the diatonic ones and stuff like uh, like with, with, with phrasing and stuff like that. Did you, aside from him, what other like kind of phrasing and like from other types of music influenced you at that early age of accordion? Um, I just was like, I was like a sponge. I was trying to take in, whatever you know caught my attention uh and what really still catches my attention is i I try to listen to a lot of stephen ray vaughn i love the way he phrases things uh musically um i like the way he does it and then you know i like to draw from other styles of music like i i even like uh rock and roll and, and heavy metal and stuff like that just the way certain songs and certain artists the way they phrase things i try to learn what they do and just take so i would take something from like for example i could take like a phrasing from stevie ray vaughn and a phrasing from clifton and maybe a phrasing from slash and try to blend all that together that's sick i mean like (laughs) that's music that's what it is is finding those bits and putting them together because i was trying to i think i read clifton like he he took a lot from like lightning hopkins and Lightning like, and, uh, the other guy made Choo 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 Boogie. Um, um, Jordan, I think something. Yeah, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me when we hang up the phone. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah, he took a lot of different phrases. And that was, you know, what influenced him. And, of course, everybody hears music differently. But, you know, um, learning, how, learning where he uh, got his influences from, you know, I went back to his sources stuff like that and then i'm like okay well what influences me so of course in my era you know i'm i'm an 80s baby so we got a lot of different influences happening throughout the 80s right yeah yeah so you know and like i said i'm big guns and roses fan so i'm kind of taking different things like that and and just you know mixing everything up and just that's how i come up with with my style was it that's i mean in 
I get it, to to play at the at the grave of someone like that and like to, to like kind of hyper focus in on it. Like I think that's like metaphorically and like uh, like what we kind of do is we we play off these shoulders of people that have come before and try to figure out them and then in turn figure out us. And like exactly. that's that's such a beautiful story. So I appreciate you rehashing it with me. Oh no problem, no problem. Yeah, because uh when I when I wanted to learn, of course, Clifton is gone already, so I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, go to him and say, okay, Mr. Clifton, can you show me how to, because he wasn't there, right? And there wasn't, there's still not too many people that play, you know, his music close to him. There's only like a small handful of people that, that still do it. So that's kind of what made me do that. I'm like, okay, let me go to his grave and really just... 100% focus, concentrate, and see if I could figure this out. And that's kind of what drove me to do that. Um, so to kind of bounce it to this new record, uh, this new record is your first one all in French, right? Well, it's all in uh, a Creole dialect, uh, not really French. There, there are uh, some similarities to French, but it's a Creole dialect that my family speaks, my, my dad and everybody on his side of the the family speaks is called Kurivini, and it's a different Creole than how they would speak in another section of Louisiana, like say around the the Eunice area, which is uh, more north, uh, not too too far north, but it's more north than Parks. Parks is kind of um, more south east, I want to say something like that. Um, and in that area, that's that's the area that they they spoke, and that's what my ancestors uh, spoke. That's what my family speaks. And um, I was a part of that generation in the '80s where they didn't want the kids to understand, you know, what was going on. Which, uh, you know, it was it's bad. It was bad for the culture because there was a you know a whole world of people that didn't get a chance to learn their native tongue. And that's why it's it's lost today. There's only a handful of people that still speak that. So that's kind of what makes me want to learn how to speak it and not only speak it, but be able to read and, and write it. My cousin, Herbert Wiltz, he's uh, helping me to read and write it at the same time as I'm learning. So uh, that's my journey right now is to learn my ancestors' language. That's so cool, though. Like to to is has have you found is it easier to speak it compared to read and write it? Actually, it helps me personally to be able to to see it. Um, it clicks a little bit more. I mean, I could ask you know how to say this, how to say that, um, but if 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 I can hear it and then write it at the same time, because it's like you're hearing it, you're looking at it. And you're you're reading it, you're writing it, you're doing all this at one time. It helps me um, better to learn that way. To ingrain it, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense because now you're stimulating multiple sensory input for 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 this complete new language. Um, exactly. And I, I also think as as a musician. Uh, you kind of you, you you pattern recognition and like delivering like different like expressions of stuff like languages. I think neurologically click a little easier for for musicians because mm -hmm. you're kind of like dabbling in it all the time and doing all this type of pattern recognition. But it still doesn't make it easy. Like, um, 
one thing I, I like reading through what Howard sent me that sent to me that really stuck out because of that is do you have you found like any uh like reoccurring idioms that uh that were said a lot in this specific dialect yeah uh, yeah because it's not really a, a complete foreign foreign language for me i've heard it growing up and so it's it, it's easier for me than somebody that has never heard it before but I could understand, it's like I could understand a little bit more than I could speak, which is kind of, it's kind of frustrating. It's like I can, I can get the the idea of what's going on. I might not understand or pick up every word because, you know, a lot like my dad, that you know, that was their first language. So when they speak it, they're flying through it, right? They're talking fast, fast, fast. Yeah. And for me, I mean, you could, you could talk English fast to me and I won't catch it. That's just me, you know? <laughs> That's just how I operate. If you speak English too fast, I'm gonna be like, "What?" <laughs> but uh, but I can I can get the idea, the overall idea. But I'm trying to get it to where I can understand each word. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Makes yeah. it, 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 each note makes sense where where it's falling here. Each word that like, um, the meaning's clear to it. That's like, and I guess that's that that's like the building blocks of of that like yeah and i kind of put too much pressure on myself because i want it so bad it's like no i gotta know what how you say this what's the proper way of saying what's the proper way and you know like everybody's saying i'm like okay they're telling me okay look don't put so much pressure on yourself on how to speak proper uh could even need proper creole because they, they were like watch this they said uh right now we speak we speak in english and i'm like yeah but we're not speaking all the time proper English, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I'm like, yeah. It's like, so like, okay, so it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> you know, like we yeah. don't, we don't speak proper English all the time. I mean, there's different slangs that we use to, you know, cut through subjects and this and that, but we still understand what we're talking about. Right. Well, and, and the, the, compared to like music, you, you want to learn the rules. So then in which you can break them. You know, yeah. Like I want to know that I'm adding a tritone here because it's not what you want to hear, but it's going to lead to it. Like I only know that because knowing the the right way to end it. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Exactly. So I I get that. I get that mentality for sure. Um. So writing this album with this can like as far as like building narratives and stuff. How was that process? Like, was it was it easier than you thought, or was it more challenging? It was a little more challenging because the language uh, has a different cadence than English. Um, obviously, each uh, language is going to flow differently. So being able to make it fit in, in the right you know, time signature and beats and stuff like that, which I found, I thought that was pretty cool because I'm so used to writing in English to where I can do it without thinking about it now. So like now I have to like go back to putting my thinking cap on. You know what I'm saying? Because like there's songs that that we could play that if you sing in English would sound good rhythmically, but then if you switch it to another language, it might throw the the timing off. So you got to figure out a way to say what you're saying in a different way to make it match with the rhythm, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Because like we naturally talk in some type of cadence. And like we write in that way too. Poetry is written in that way. Lyrics are written in that way. 
and uh, like definitely i think that's represented within the within the music that that language is using like we got a lot of four four in english <laughs> you know what i mean like but like so what what time signatures and like what kind of pattern did, like is there a new one that really stuck out that you found yourself using more in this record then or was it, it really it really just depends on the melody okay um i always start with it seems like to me i always start with a melody you know something that i'm like hmm that sounds cool that sounds interesting and then from there i kind of just hold on to that melody i kind of jot it down and i just let that kind of simmer for a little while and then later on an idea will come up in my head okay we could say this in creole and that would match with that so it takes me a little bit longer than it would in english only because it's, it's it's new to me but that's where I start from. It just, it really just depends on the melody. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because that's the whole phrase. That's like the sentence of the song. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. Man, this new <laughs> record, it's incredible, and I really enjoyed getting the dive into your past records leading up to it. Um, well, thank you. And I really appreciate your time today and, and uh, rescheduling because I know last weekend got a little wonky with the emails. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I have one more kind of question. It could be a throwaway question or maybe it can mean something. But um, I also heard and or read that you're you're into wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> so I, is there like through your through your journey as a musician, as as an entertainer in multiple different facets behind the band, in front of the band, responding to the emails, doing the press, doing the recordings, all the paperwork that goes in. Um, for you, do you see a similarity between a musical career and a wrestling career? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's like, okay, so, okay, so here's a good example. So you know how wrestling is. Like, when you watch wrestling, it's always the bad guy versus the good guy. There's a, there's a storyline, right? There. So, uh, Bojack and Boozoo did this in the early nineties and it worked, uh, just like, just like at the, the wrestling shows, you know, they, they sit, they set this, it was a fake feud, right? But the people thought it was real. They would go around, they would talk smack about each other publicly and this and that. They'd write songs about each other, you know, stuff like that. And then everybody's like, oh, did you hear what Boozoo said? Oh, did you hear what Bojack said about Boozoo and this and that? And so then what they started doing, they built that up. Then what they started doing, they started having these battle of the bands. And even with that, they were saying, oh, I'm going to tear you up this weekend. You ain't going to make it, you know, just like the wrestling business. And then when the day came, the people were so amped up, just like at a wrestling show, at WrestleMania or something like that, they flooded the building. There was so many people there to see that. And they really thought that Bojack and Buzu didn't like each other, when really they just set it up like a wrestling event. Yeah. <laughs> and the place was packed. They sold merchandise. They sold all the food. They sold all the drinks, the liquor. And they kept on doing it. They said, all right, we're going to do a rematch. All right, we're going to do another rematch. And they just kept doing it. And people just started loving it. So, yeah, there's definitely a connection with that. I mean, I, I witnessed that. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Did you have a and, team? I, and, 
And it's funny because all the while people are like, man, y'all need to be friends in this. But all the while, <laughs> when 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 the when the gig or the show was over with, Bojack and Buzu was laughing in the back, counting all that money they just made. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. There's <laughs> there's something so into the, the the human psyche, the I'm on team A, team B thing, that yeah. in that way is done in such a fun and like <laughs> inspiring like. You know yeah. what I mean? Like in the right way, it brings everyone up. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a recipe that works. Obviously. <laughs> Have you thought about putting together a fake, uh, a fake uh, uh, um, battle of the bands? Uh, I haven't really thought about it. Um, <laughs> those, those times are a little bit different now. Um, people's mentality is now a little bit different than yeah. what it was back yeah. then. So even to do that, I mean. You'd have to find somebody that has, that understands that this is just a marketing scheme. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Some people, people are kind of sensitive nowadays. You know, people might actually start believing, oh, he don't like me. So now, so I don't know. We'll see. Well, and also, yeah, because so much of marketing is like, oh, it's coming from me. This is me. Honest me. You know what I mean? Like, so much mm -hmm. marketing is that, which is cool, but also <laughs> can't leave the smackdowns. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the wrestling business is still, you know, going strong. So that, that recipe still works because, you know, that's just how it works. Yeah. Uh, and one, one, one other question. I'll let you go, man. Um, so like Clifton, he like, he got his first big hit was like a cover of like, right. So like adding the Zydeco flavor to like, to other music have you thought about doing that with like guns and roses i actually did um yeah. just just for kind of like you know you know experimental purposes i didn't really i recorded i re-recorded um sweet child of mine i didn't put it out anywhere of course yeah. there's a lot of le legal things that, that go with that so i yeah. didn't <laughs> do nothing like i just did it just for fun i just recorded it uh and i just put it up on youtube just so people can hear it you know what i'm saying but i do have uh, a version of Sweet Child of Mine on YouTube, and I did uh, another one from Sade, The Sweetest Taboo. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I like to do all kind of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't, I, through my through my fumblings, I didn't find those two, but now I'm going to check that out. Well, Corey, yeah, yeah, you can look for that. <laughs> Corey, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really enjoyed digging into your music. <laughs> Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>